0: to breakfast
1: what's before lunch it's austin texas it's weird brunch
2: what did See you me. do was that kenny loggins is that i'm all right is kenny loggins right okay, okay,
1: okay i was i've been on a kenny loggins kick for
2: as long. you do <laughs> I, mm. I just, you know, I think of the little gopher doing his like mm-hmm. weird little shoulder head thing. Yeah. I'm yeah. alright, right. no funny me. About me. Right. Yeah, that's classic shit right there.
1: Oh yeah, so good. Mm. But that's not what I was hyping myself up with, Harvey Danger, because I'm a '90s girl, not an '80s of girl. Of
2: course. Yeah. You're from the 70s, but I'm a 90s bitch. I love it. That's how it works.
1: That's how it works.
2: I'm okay.
1: (laughs) Oh, we're supposed to ask Lisa how she is. I
2: love it. No, yeah, it's the, oh my God, why can't I think of the name of the band? It's not the, it's the Ting Tings, right? No.
1: (gasps) mm -mm. Yeah, that's not my name. Yeah, that's not not my my
2: name. No, 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 but it is, it's. I crashed I
1: got
2: my the car. Charlie, Charlie, Charlie X. Oh Charlie, Charlie X, X. X. No, it is not. Oh, Sleigh Bells. No, no, no. Oh, my God. I can't believe we're fucking up this bad. I, don't think I, I love do. it. Song. Sleigh Bells. No, it's not Sleigh Bells. Iconopop. Iconopop. There we go. Iconipop. Give it to me. Same featuring time frame. Featuring Charlie team XCX.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Partial credit, partial who, credit.
2: Who remembers the feature?
0: That's all I remember because
1: <gasps>
2: Yeah. That
0: person's done They're more.
2: F- featured. They're she featured. has now. Dang, mm-hmm. that song's really old, and I feel like Charlie XCX is younger than that. I know. You know? Like I think of her yeah. as like the same age as Dua Lipa.
1: Yeah.
2: Not old enough. She was to
1: digitally remastered in yeah, the song. Digitally inserted. Collab. Yeah. With mm-hmm.
2: Iconopop.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Karina. Can I move with you, Karina?
1: <sighs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah,
2: totally. Come. It's,
1: I'm sure not at all racist in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, you'd hope a little less racist than Texas is.
1: You would hope. That is a goal. Mm. We'll see, though. In the world of comedy, though, there's a, mm. a nice, even... Hummus of racism with little raisins in it that spread evenly (laughs) throughout the country.
2: Dang, who's eating hummus with raisins in it?
1: Racists.
2: Yeah, that's probably true. Gross. Ew. Is it like green outside for y'all? Kind of like right
1: before Uh a tornado (laughs) happens? It's like Uh the very
2: green. (laughs) Ew. Yeah. It's giving me flashbacks to my childhood good times.
1: Yeah, Good welcome to our final episode. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh.
2: Not the first time we've said it, but it could be <laughs> a tornado levels the entirety of Austin. And
0: yeah, and I'd be fine.
2: <laughs> At least it'll fix Lisa's comedy problem.
0: Well, I don't think it's just mine anymore.
2: <laughs> no, apparently <laughs> everybody's. I don't know. I don't know how much you want to talk about the ever-changing oh. climate around the Austin comedy scene.
1: Oh, well, By the time you're listening to this, whatever person we're having a problem with is not a problem for a while, temporarily. Who knows? What kind people of thread is of crawling that? Back. Well, people have a way of crawling back. Mm. Remember uh, Jeremy Piven? Mm. I never heard Remember? of her. <laughs> I don't know. That her. show yeah.
2: already played off, right? That was like one of the first ones there, wasn't it?
1: No, that's I'm talking about how he then decided to do stand-up because he couldn't get any jobs as an actor. Mm-hmm. And he would get booked at clubs, and then I would get mad at those clubs, and then those cl- clubs would get mad at me, and then I'd... <laughs> Move to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, And basically. then I moved
2: to Chicago.
1: Then I moved to Chicago.
0: Chelsea, <laughs> <sighs> there's, <clears throat> there's a tiger lost, and the rich part of Houston. <laughs> uh, just no. now. <laughs> yeah, in the middle of all this, while well, I'm paying attention to this bullshit, there's a fucking tiger on the loose that was hanging out in the memorial area, which is the rich area of Houston. And some guy that was like on parole or something ran out with this fucking tiger. It was a whole thing. And they caught the guy, but they didn't get
2: the tiger. T- uh, I love that. I mean, I feel bad for the tiger, uh, but.
1: Yeah. Have they tried catching the tiger by its tail? By its After toe. After saying meeny, 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 moe. Oh, tie its toe, right? Okay. It I have just to sucks because when
0: that happens, they have to kill the animal typically. Anyway,
2: this is a downer. I'm Guys. sorry. Bring it back Welcome, up. Let's bring sir. it back up. <laughs> Welcome to Weird Brunch. Bringing it back up. Let's get going. We're <laughs> happy. <laughs> Imagine me juggling. <laughs> I taught myself to juggle one summer, and I hummed that. I would sing it as I taught myself to juggle. that <laughs> Da, 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 da. It helps.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to teach myself how to juggle cards. So far, all I've got is the one-handed cut down, which I didn't really show very well. But that's fucking cool. I'm working on the, the cardistry stuff. It's hard, though. It's really hard. I'm, anyway.
2: It's a requirement to move to Chicago, from what I hear.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh Cool. Well, I've got racial injustice on tap. So, oh God, me too. It's going. yours. I,
2: I don't. If you want me to go first, <laughs> I can do that.
1: Give us a sorbet, Whitney.
2: A sorbet, the amuse yeah. bouche. Uh, cleans- <laughs> Oh wait, if it's a sorbet, oh. does that mean you want me to go last? Would that be no, a palate cleanser?
1: Before we dive back in, amuse us, you bouche.
2: I will amuse you with my Um, bouche. That sounded creepy. You know, you know what an amuse bouche is. Amuse bouche. Okay. (laughs) So we're going to go away from racism and super terrible things to something else that's kind of terrible uh, in Norway. (laughs) boop boop doo. Uh Norway, picture it. It's nineteen seventy. It's November. It's fucking cold, I assume. I don't really know what the uh <laughs> seasons are like in Norway, but cold is a good guess. I'll I just assume it's cold. All I feel the time like that's a there. solid solid yes. guess. Uh a man and his daughters are hiking through. Death Valley in Norway. So this is a different Death Valley. It's, uh, colder. Th- it's colder <laughs> there. It's actually called Isdalin Valley. It's near the city of Bergen. If you're familiar with Death Valley and or Candace Bergen, just kidding. She has nothing to do with this, but <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Murphy Brown forever. Um, him and his two young daughters are hiking through this place and they smell something burning and they come across a corpse strewn across a few rocks. Its arms, they say, are extended in kind of a boxer position. So, like, the arms of this burned body are, like, a punchy style, but kind of close. <laughs> okay. Anyways, <laughs> For a radio visual, um, the reason this place is called Death Valley is because back in like the fucking medieval times, people used to commit suicide down there all the time, which is wild to like the fact that anybody even knows that now considering history in general. So this woman was very out of the way like the place where she was was an unusual area to be walking and obviously an unusual place to uh burn to death so they are like wow this is fucked up let's go get the cops and the cops come to the scene and they're like yeah definitely smells like burnt flesh uh, The body is facing upwards. Most of her face and her hair is burned all over. Uh, They can't identify her from her face. The backside of her not burned at all. Hmm. Don't know why. It looked like maybe she had thrown herself back from a fire, but they couldn't really tell. Um, That's bizarre. Doesn't
0: like the body catch I don't don't think skin is like hyper flammable or whatever, but if she had clothes on or I just don't understand. So,
2: she did. Hmm. Around her body and nearby and somewhat burned but not as bad as she was, police find a number of objects that include jewelry, a watch, a broken umbrella, and some bottles. Hmm. Um. She hadn't been wearing any other jewelry. It looked like someone or she had taken it off and placed it beside her. The bo- the objects were surrounding her body. And they said it looked kind of like maybe it was something ceremonial. Uh, they find a pair of rubber boots and nylon stockings. She had been wearing clothes that were synthetic But because of that, they were all basically burned away. From the things that they did find, all of the labels that they were looking for had been either cut off or, like, rubbed away. So there were some, like, plastic bottles around her as well that on top of, like, the boots and stuff like that that didn't have labels didn't have any type of identifiers on them that would make it easier for police to you know kind of track down where this may woman maybe was from or where her clothes were from so sorry, the, sorry this, Whitney what year was this again nineteen seventy okay oh November nineteen seventy okay. so the police are like. What's up, newspapers? We have this burn charred body, and uh, we think this woman was about 5'4", which, in my opinion, is the perfect height um, for a woman. I'm sorry. I'm 5'5". It's the worst part of being alive for me. Too tall. Anyways, I'm just kidding. Imagine so, being 5'10". <laughs> Please imagine. Well, no, I feel like 5'5 is worth. Anyways, I have a whole thing about this. Okay. So she's five, four. She has long brown hair, small face, brown eyes, small ears. She's between 25 and 45. And if any of y'all have seen anything like this, we found her in the Istal like death Valley. Let us fucking know. And it blows up in Bergen because they don't ever have any crime. And Everyone's like, holy shit. And the next, within the next few days, the police get another clue in a railway stations, luggage department, like the lost and found luggage. There are two suitcases that belong to the Bergen woman. They contain a pair of prescription free glasses They were glasses with the glass inside, but no prescription in them. There's fingerprints on these glasses that match the woman's fingers so they know they were hers. The suitcase also contains clothes, several wigs, German and Norwegian money, Belgian, British, and Swiss coins, a hairbrush, a toothbrush, Makeup, teaspoons, and a tube of eczema cream. Like, keep it hydrated. Thank you. Moisturize always. And the police are like, wow, this is a lot of stuff. We should definitely be able to figure out who this woman is based on all this. But again, none of the clothes, even the makeup compacts, The clothes have the labels ripped out and the compact has like the uh, whatever identifier like mark was on it has been like rubbed off. No labels are left on this. So weird. So weird. So weird. Even there was a prescription sticker on the eczema cream, but it had been like scraped off the name part.
0: Damn it. That was I was like, I know there's prescription stuff on eczema cream because of someone I live with.
2: Yeah. I mean, my whole family's got, like, yeah. So the police are like, well, uh, maybe if we, you know, let's send this fucking picture of this makeup compact off to a bunch of department stores. There's got to be a way somebody's going to be like, oh, my God, that's like clinic number seven or whatever the fuck. None of that ends up panning out. Department stores can't find a match. They also find inside the suitcase a coded note that police don't crack until a few days later. But on top of that, they find a plastic bag from a footwear store. So she had been wearing a pair of rubber boots that didn't They couldn't find the label for, but they do find this bag in her suitcase at the other place and they're like, oh Mm -hmm. shit, it says it's Oscar Rovort's footwear store and they go and they're like, fucking Oscar, what the fuck? And he's like, I remember selling these boots. I sold them to a well-dressed, nice looking woman with dark hair. It took her fucking forever to pick them out way longer than anybody else who ever comes to buy fucking rubber boots.
1: And she uh,
2: was the perfect height. And she was the perfect height for a woman, if you're asking me. And he said she spoke with an English, or she po- she spoke in English, but with an accent, and had a calm and quiet expression. Uh, and that he got her fucking name, and her name was Fenella Lorch. What a no, name! Turns no. out that was a fake name, not uh yeah. To two- anybody, she like threw some Scrabble
0: tiles together and was like, "That'll work." Mm-hmm. Uh vanilla
2: lorch, lorch sounds really good. Wow, really rolls off the tongue. So oh, from so here-
1: then rolls back in. Yeah, it does. Lorch, lorch like
2: that. <laughs> so <laughs> from there the police are able to find out that she's stayed at a bunch of different hotels around Norway. Um she's stayed under oh god, how many different names is this? At least 7 different names. Genevieve Lancier, Claudia Tilt, Claudia Tilt again, Nielsen, Claudia Nielsen, Alexia. There are so many fucking different names. And she's been in the area since about March to November. So a long time. Is it March or is it March? March to (laughs) November. 1970 i'm sorry i felt like the way i said that made me sound like buffalo bill the muppet from oh no i'm in innocent um anyways uh so she at one of the hotels she stayed at she left a major impression on this one waitress it was at the hotel neptune and the waitress said, my first impression of her was one of elegance and self-assuredness. She looked fashionable. I wished, I, I wished to be able to mimic her style. In fact, I remember her winking at me. From my perspective, it felt as though she thought I had been staring a bit too much at her. On occasion, mm-hmm. while I was serving her, she was in the dining hall sitting right next to two german navy personnel one of which was an officer and the police are like oh that's fucking interesting she's possibly meeting with german officers but this is the 1970s so you know not the 1940s like we're not going crazy here
1: Yeah, what even is that? What's a German officer in the 1970s? Did they even have an army? That's true.
2: Uh, So they learn also that every time she stayed in the hotels, she would get her hotel room and then ask to switch to another one, uh, which is also a little bit suspicious. And then another clue comes up. They find. Sorry, I had to burp a note. This bitch is a spy. I, mm-hmm. There are rumors that the Isdal woman was a spy. Uh, she seemed wealthy, well-traveled, spoke both German and French very easily, and broken English. And this is during the Cold War. And there are spies everywhere, Especially in Norway. Um, they were operating there, but also there were Mossad agents operating uh, there at the same time. And Mossad wasn't part of the Cold War, I don't think, but it was a different whole thing. And they were searching for terrorists and the Lilyhammer. I think that's a TV show. Mm-hmm. Mossad agents killed a man in Lily Hammer like a few years afterwards, suspecting him to be a terrorist mistakenly. Um, Norwegian intelligence services don't admit anything at the time. Uh, they're interested in her notes and they find these pieces of paper that have like a bunch of letters and numbers next to them uh definitely not in any type of wording but letters and numbers right and they're like this is fucking weird and police eventually figure out that it's places she's visited like 022028p like connect to 22nd to 28th of October, she's in Paris, like this different type of thing. And they send sketches to those locations that they decipher of the description of, or they send the sketches and the description to be like, yo, if y'all fucking have seen this woman, please let us know. Nothing really comes to that. And then we have an autopsy. More clues. They find unexplained bruising on the right side of her neck that could have been from her falling, but also could have, you know, been from somebody hitting her. The autopsy also finds she had never been pregnant or had a kid, um, but that also. There was soot in her lungs, so as that means she was alive while she was burning to death.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. Though they say that maybe she was just a chimney sweep. She could have been a oh. chimney sweep. I don't know if a chimney sweep would need that many like passports. But <laughs> there's sure, chimneys. Yeah. there's
1: chimneys everywhere. Yeah. Lots of chimneys, chim chim right? Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> mm. I love some Dick Van Dyke, you know. Uh, mm. <laughs> they know that <laughs> petrol, aka gas, had been used to set her ablaze. She had a high concentration of carbon monoxide in her blood. And they found about... they estimated that she had taken between 50 to 70 sleeping pills from a brand called Phenomol, And Mm -hmm. they hadn't been fully absorbed in her bloodstream before she died because they were able to find them undigested in her stomach. Mm -hmm. She died from a combination of carbon monoxide poisoning and – from ingesting that large number of sleeping pills, some of which had been digested. Um, And the police and the, the Bergen chief police chief of police is like, this is suicide. And people are like, man, are you (laughs) fucking sure about that? Like, how do you, like you set yourself on fire after taking like 70 sleeping pills. Like, I don't know about that. Seems um, like a lot of work. Seems, seems like a lot of fucking work. Without any further leads other than that, tons of stuff. <laughs> they close the case in 1971 and they bury her in a zinc coffin. And zinc what? doesn't degrade or it it's not gonna like get fucked up by the elements so the idea was that maybe at least we can keep her body inside this thing and exhume her if <laughs> any new shit comes out uh
1: <laughs> no we'll just leave it for our ancestors to figure I mean,
2: out i mean we, it's we not play. a bad idea like how many fucking <laughs> stories have you heard where Exhumations need to happen and it's just too late. Um, Hmm. So they kept police documents. They kept her jaw and like different parts of her body. Her jawbone, like her teeth had been filled in a very weird way. Like she had a bunch of gold fillings and she was estimated like, they retested some of her tissue and teeth later on and reestimated her age to be more so around like late 30s, early 40s at her time of death. And they said that the way her teeth had been filled in was not like normal dentistry for the time. Oh. Um,
1: like
2: straight teeth? Straight teeth.
1: Uh, Gotta make holes for all the cyanide pills.
2: It's Mm -hmm. true. Uh, Mm -hmm. They also retested some stuff, uh, some tissue samples of her organs from her heart, lungs, adrenal glands, and her ovaries, which they had decided to take out also and store at Hookland University Hospital. Um, It's a source of DNA that they hope will Yeah. Is that a common thing? I I mean I think keeping certain things, sure, but I don't know, like taking your ovaries seems kind of weird. It seems aggressive. Right? Like just take like the like just take a heart. How much else yeah. do you need, right? Like that's got all the shit in it, right? I don't know. So just take my heart. Just take the heart. I mean, maybe there's that, maybe that's like, I don't know. People would have some problems with it. Uh, So they're trying to build a DNA profile of her, but they have not put it into any of the um, like ancestry.com databases style to like, you know, how we've identified Multiple killers now. Fuck yeah, I love it. Uh, They haven't done that yet because it's up to the police. Nobody can really make them do anything because there is no family related to it who could push for that. Uh, So it's kind of up to the Norwegian police to fucking do it. If they were to find somebody close in DNA registry, uh, that would obviously help solve everything uh the istal woman's case has been unsolved for 46 years um and it's one of the most elusive nordic mysteries out there obviously lots of people think that she was a spy um because of the Cold War happening at the time, her movements actually matched up with the uh Penguin Missile movement, uh, or just like the plans for that. So, the Penguin Missile was a Cold War missile commissioned by the U.S., and they worked with Norway to get this thing up and running. And the penguin missile is an infrared uh, passive missile. So it's just kind of, you know, it's not like attacking, it's just, I guess, infrared, what, like heat sensory, kind of just mapping things. And apparently the list of numbers and letters that she had made matched up pretty well with every spot that the missile had kind of been tracked. So there's that. There was also okay. a man that came forward later, like years and years later, who said he had been hiking in the Istol Valley that day or like a few days before. I feel like he said five days before, but which is kind of like. Uh, Okay, that's like a long time before, but he said that he had come across a woman who looked just like her, and she was walking by herself, but there were two men 20 meters behind her, and when he passed her, she looked at him, and it looked like she was going to say something, but she didn't say anything at all, and he just kind of went on, and that was that, but that's part of it as well.
1: (laughs) that's weird
2: anyways that's the mystery of the is woman there's a podcast about it too that i'm going to listen to someday soon because it's a mystery and i like mysteries that's insane (laughs) like every part of that didn't make sense i mean there's so much to it yeah. And it all to me sounds like spy shit. Yeah. yeah. Major but spy also, shit. But also
0: often people will like, you know, uh, gl- like fantasize or like, you know, fill in holes and gaps with stuff like that cuz I mean, think about uh what's her what's her name in the fucking uh, elevator at least the lamb. Yeah. 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 Like everybody was fully convinced that of eight different things. Right. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm going spy. Spy, but spy, spy. spy. <laughs> I just work here. What if she
2: doesn't have any family? She might not. I mean, I bet she <laughs> does. Everyone technically has some type of family. Somebody had to know Theoretically. Her. Theoretically. We don't
1: know about the lizard people. That's true. Yeah, maybe she's a lizard.
2: Bored for bags.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Mm. Well, I have a mystery, too.
2: Mystery. No. Oh. I have
1: a mystery. Do you have a mystery? I have a mystery.
2: I don't have
0: a
1: mystery. Okay. Well, this will be the segue because it's a civil rights mystery. Perfect. Yeah. So let's talk about one of the most important Supreme Court cases that you don't have to memorize in high school, so isn't as well known. I'm going to be honest it real is, quick. I'm going to
0: be honest. My schools <laughs> never made me memorize
1: a Supreme Court case. Well, I mean, like, you know, some of them by name, right? Yeah, sure. Come on. You know. You know Roe versus Wade. Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brown versus Board of Education. Miranda. Was the Scopes
0: uh, Monkey's. Mm. where the monkey was no that was, know, that was porch, just like so.
1: kentucky or some shit yeah it was just a yeah a, okay. a trial anyway um so this one is gaines v canada um and it res, uh revolves around a man named lloyd gaines who was born in 1911 and in Water Valley, Mississippi, a teeny t-t-t-t-t-t-town in the northwestern corner of Mississippi. Uh, he and his family, uh, his dad died, and then the whole family moved to St. Louis in 1926 as part of the great migration of black people from the south to more industrialized cities that were hopefully a little less Jim Crow-y. Unfortunately for Gaines, his family chose St. Louis. Um, Mm -hmm. which was in Missouri and which decided to go ahead and be as racist as possible as long as possible. Mm -hmm. They settled in the central west end of St. Louis where he did very well in school and was a valedictorian of his high school in the 1930s, which was yes, absolutely segregation time. So he got a $4,000 scholarship in today's dollars, I guess $250 at the time uh, for writing an essay. So he was going to go to college and uh he went to lincoln university which is a historically black college in jefferson city the capital of missouri got himself a bachelor's degree in history um is that still the capital of missouri yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah. i don't know why but it is Hmm. um so yeah got himself a bachelor's from lincoln and was president of the senior class and he was a member of the alpha phi alpha fraternity which is one of those like you know it's a good one to be in part of, not just a drinking one, especially in the 1930s. Anyway, graduates in 1935, tries to get work as a teacher, having a hard time uh, on account of being, you know, black in the 1930s, and also on account of it being the Great Depression. Just hard to find work at that time. Around the t- same time, the NAACP was trying to figure out how to overturn Plessy versus Ferguson, which is a landmark case that people generally have to learn about. Mm-hmm. That is the 1896 court case that created separate but equal.
2: I remember that. Which
1: uh, allowed for segregation in Jim Crow and all that, right?
0: Y'all, I knew so many more of these court cases than I
1: thought. You See? did. You did. Mm hmm. So the NAACP was looking around for a way to overturn this. And they came upon, so what they did was they thought of the case first, and then they tried to find someone who they could bring it through. And they came upon a pretty genius idea, which was to focus on the state of Missouri, the only state that had a law on the state books, segregating the universities, and then to target somebody who wanted to go to the University of Missouri law school, get rejected because they're black, and then run that up the flagpole to the Supreme Court, where all the Supreme Court justices went to law school and under, would understand the discrimination in place. Bonus Missouri at the time did not have any law school for Black people in their segregated system, just none. So,
2: doesn't sound very separate, but equal.
1: I know, exactly. They're like, we got him, we got him. They forgot um, that
0: second part. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> uh, they come over to Lorenzo Green, a Lincoln University professor, and said, Give us your best and brightest student uh who wants to have a job. Uh, we've got this great idea. Uh, it's gonna be hard, but it's going to end up creating a better world for all African Americans. And also, you know, at the end of this, we're gonna get your best student a job as a lawyer. So uh he points them towards gains. Uh Houston, uh, the the NAACP at first interviews Gaines are like, you got anybody else? <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 Gaines is the guy. He's the guy. He's the guy. They're like, okay. Never explained what the initial objections were, but part of it may have been that Gaines had no interest in being a lawyer. <laughs> anyway.
2: <laughs> but he was going to so, law school?
1: No, he wasn't. Oh, okay. He was going to try to be a teacher. Oh, that's right. Uh, also hard to be a teacher, but their whole, the NAACP's thing is like, we could probably get... Supreme court to hold, hear a case about teachers colleges, but we know we can get them to hear one about law schools. Right. So they say, Hey, dude, you know, do us a solid and apply to the university of Missouri. You can go, you can get your law degree, and then you can also be a teacher. Right. you can totally do that. Right. He's like, yeah, okay. 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 I'll I'll do it. I mean, I need a job and I want to keep going in school. I'm smart. I'm good. I want to do this. So he applies to the university of Missouri where there's an admissions guy named Canada. That's where Canada comes in. Okay. And Mr. Canada uh, does not realize that Gaines is black because this segregated school did not have a checkbox on the application form to indicate race. So he's like putting him in the admissions pile. um, And he's double checking on transcripts uh, to do the final admissions. And at that point, he sees that Gaines graduated from Lincoln. Lincoln's a black school. He's like, oh, my God, a black man. Here's what they did at the time in Missouri to get around Plessy versus Ferguson separate, but equal the state of Missouri would take black applicants to the university of Missouri and say, Hey, sorry, no can do white school. Sorry. I, you know, it's the law, but what we'll do is we will pay you a scholarship to go to school. Some fucking where else. Mm. Go out of state. Jesus. Mm. Yes, that was the official policy. And they thought they were being oh, real sweet. So Canada calls Gaines into his office and said, you would totally be accepted to the school, except for the fact that you're black, gross, ew. Uh, so <laughs> what we're going to do is we'll pay your room and board for you to go to the University of Maryland or Illinois, your choice. Because uh, those are states that aren't racist. So, you know, you can if you want. And uh, he's like, nah, I got the NAACP all ready to see you guys for rejecting me. Uh, you're rejecting me? And he's like, yes, of course, we're rejecting you. He's like, cool. He goes back to the NAACP. They're like, sweet hot dog, we've got our case. Boom, Gaines versus Canada is born. So they hold the case in Columbia, Missouri, which is where the University of Missouri is. And that's kind of the western half of the state, which comes into play. Uh, I've got some flavor text that I'm going to read to you because I think it's pretty good. Uh, they arrive at Boone County Courthouse near Columbia uh, in the morning because there's a severe drought that summer. This is the Dust Bowl of the Great Depression. Many of the white farmers in the surrounding communities showed up to make applications for federal le- relief from the New Deal. And just to kill time, they went into the court, yeah, courtroom uh, just to watch the show because lo and behold, there were African-American lawyers arguing a case which none of these guys had ever seen in their lives. So courtrooms packed. There's also hundred current university of Missouri law students, all white, of course, and a couple of local black people who were encouraged by the NAACP to show up, uh, but not as many as they'd hoped for because recently uh, two local black people had been lynched right outside yes, the court. So they didn't really want to go. So, okay. Right. So that's <laughs> setting the stage. Um, but the weirdly, the courtroom facilities weren't segregated, so the black people just sat amongst the white people. Everybody's kind of mixed together. During the time the trial uh, begins, the heat outside is 100 degrees. There's no air conditioning. There's no ventilation. The windows is an interior room. The crowds, um, everybody's taking their jackets off, sweating balls. That's the pressure cooker that this trial is taking place in. Oh, my God. So, goes for several days. The lawyer for the state, William Hogsett, couldn't make that up if <laughs> I tried. Hogs what? It. William Hogsett. Hogs oh, it. Damn. He Hogsett, uh, calls Gaines to the stand on cross-examination and says, hey, you're only interested in applying to law school so you can be a part of this lawsuit. And Gaines is like, oh. <laughs> but he's not very convincing because that's true. <laughs> No. and he's hot and he's getting scared right because it's like a hostile environment um and they ask him like hey had you ever seen a black person at the university of missouri he's like no he's like well didn't you know therefore that you would be rejected when you apply he's like oh i had no idea that they were segregated I, you know he's playing dumb he's playing along in the case he's kind of lying his ass off um, but only in the sense that he's pointing out an injustice and he did apply and he did get rejected. So on the merits of the case, he's not lying at all. He's just more like dancing around hogs. It's pretty correct. Call it. This is kind of a setup case, right? Um, so then the NAACP calls in the school Dean, the law school Dean and says, what are you guys doing? There's no black law school in the state don't people have to study the law of the state to become a lawyer in the state? And he's like, I've never heard of such a thing. So they have to show mm. him the Iowa law school and the Illinois law school, all the surrounding law schools in their brochures are like, Hey, one of the things you get by coming here is you learn the state law so you can pass the bar and be a lawyer in the state. And he's, well, That's not how law schools work in my brain playing dumb himself. So both sides kind of disingenuous through this whole thing.
0: Well, I mean, they are lawyers. So.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, a state senator, Mr. F.M. McDavid, who was the chair of the University of Missouri's Board of Regents, testified under direct admission, examination that admitting a Black student would be very disruptive to the university and its students and undermine 100 years of tradition. Ugh.
2: Sorry. <laughs>
1: uh, yes. So that turned out to be... Uh, an, according to the jury, the winning argument. Tradition. I've got your tradition right here. You can fucking blow me. Uh, NAACP is like, no problem. We fucking plan to lose this. We want to appeal this to the Missouri Supreme Court. We absolutely plan to lose there. We're on the Supreme Court. That's our goal. So we we knew Mm -hmm. we weren't going to win this. Goes to the Missouri Supreme Court. Of course, the Missouri Supreme Court says Plessy versus Ferguson, separate but equal. Uh, he can totally get money, will pay him money to go to any other law school in the country. Like, how is that not equal? And it's fine. So they reject his suit too. Goes up to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court at the time, a little short-handed. It's the New Deal. FDR is trying to pack the court, which is a big controversy at the time because he's frustrated that they keep shooting down his liberal New Deal policies. Kind of a conservative court. They take one look at this case and go in a six to two decision, fuck you, Missouri. Yay! What the fuck are you doing? Yay!
2: Fuck you, Missouri!
1: And they rule exactly as the NAACP had hoped, which is not to overturn the separate part. They were like, we know that's a bridge too far. But to force the state of Missouri to uphold the but equal part and start a law school just for black people. And the goal was to get Missouri to take a look at that ruling and go, well, Jesus, that's inefficient. Why don't we just let black people into the University Mm -hmm. of Missouri? That's their whole game. We're like, we're just going to make the but equal part seem really expensive and cumbersome. And then they'll realize, is racism really that precious to us? Turns out. It was. (laughs) Yes. So.
0: Oh, my God.
1: The way this ruling worked, it's a state law. So what the Supreme Court basically did was say, we're kicking it back to the Missouri Supreme Court and we're telling the Missouri Supreme Court, hey, look, we don't think you thought this through all the way. We can't override a state law because this isn't un- an unconstitutional law, because we're not overturning Plessy versus Fergan. It's not that the law is unconstitutional. It's just that it's not being followed. We need y'all to do something about it. So they're basically handing it back to Missouri with instructions to think harder this time. This is when things get weird. What? Two things <laughs> happened. Yes. Two things happened. First of all, the state of Missouri, while all of the Supreme Court case is going on, goes, hey, real quick, start a black law school. And they give $250,000, which is about $5 million today, to Lincoln University and say, start a law school, start a law school. And they do. So 1939, they start a law school. um, And they're like, sweet, there we go. We're good. Okay. So this whole thing will just go away. Problem was that by 1939, Gaines, the original plaintiff in the case, smart kid, great kid, Lloyd Gaines, was gone.
2: He became a teacher? Between...
1: (laughs) Between the, uh, okay, I got to go through this step by step because it is interesting. Uh, between the Supreme Court case and the Missouri rehearing, uh, what was Gaines up to? He was giving a lot of talks at NAACP chapters, basically trying to get speaker stipends. He was very poor. He talked to the media. He complained about how stressful it was to be the center of all this attention and how scary it was. Um, and they paid him to uh, attend graduate school at the university of Michigan, which, um, he did for a little while, but he didn't quite graduate. Um, so then he went to work as a clerk for the WPA, uh, and he got his master's degree at that point in economics. So now he's an economics guy <laughs> goes back to Missouri, um, where they're about to hold this trial about whether or not he wants to be a lawyer. Right. This new law school's there. The NAACP is like, don't apply. Don't apply to the law school. That fucks our whole case. And Gaines is like, well, Jesus, do I want to be a lawyer or not? And I'm an I'm economics professor now, and I don't know what's going on. And I still don't have a job. I can't find a fucking job. Nobody wants to hire an economics professor who's black in the Depression. Ah. <laughs> He's freaking out. He's giving speeches. He's begging for money from his brother. Uh, he can't take it anymore in Missouri. So he moves to Chicago, where a bunch of people from his hometown had moved. Over the next several weeks, he's working in Chicago, uh, just like little odd jobs, clerking, delivering groceries, that sort of thing. Um, And he writes a letter to his mother on March 3rd and said, you know, this publicity about my university case, I found that my race still likes to applaud, shake hands, pat me on the back and say how great and noble is the idea, how historical and socially important is the case. And then it's over. And then out of the confines of the publicity columns, I'm just a man, not somebody who sacrificed and fought to make the case possible. Who's still fighting and sacrificing almost the Supreme sacrifice to see it as a lasting and complete success for 13 million Negroes. No, I'm just another man. I can't get a job. Sometimes I wish I was just a plain ordinary man. whose name, nobody recognized. That's his state of mind. Mm. So he goes to Chicago to make his own way. Uh, He books accommodations at the YMCA through March 7th. He gets a job at a department store. He never shows up for it on the first day Mm -hmm. because the day before he went out for stamps and he was never ever seen again. He left a duffel bag full of dirty clothing in his uh, alpha Pi alpha fraternity house at the YMCA. And since he had a history of leaving for days at a time, and was kind of like a stressed out dude people like didn't even notice for a few days they didn't report him to the police or anything like that couple months go by before people are aware that he's even really missing missing um in august so this is he disappears in march right august the naacp goes looking for him like hey the missouri supreme court's case rehearing is starting where is he nobody fucking knows the family never went to the cops because they're afraid of the cops Nobody ever like talked to anybody or like filed a death certificate or anything because the system had fucked them over so mm-hmm. hard that they didn't want to talk to anybody about it. He was just gone. Uh, they made a frantic effort to find him. There was rumors that he'd been killed by somebody who wanted to stop the case from happening rumors that he'd committed suicide because he was so stressed out before the hand and leaving all these weird little goodbye notes and rumors that he was paid to disappear by the other side and was living off the money teaching in New Mexico City. Media attention all over the place. Please, for anyone with information, to contact the NAACP. Basically, a nationwide manhunt. Um, never turned up. Just absolutely no side of him ever. State of Missouri moves in 1940 to dismiss the case because there's no plaintiff. The NAACP is like, I guess not. Cases dismissed.
2: Fuck.
1: So, the Supreme Court almost voted to integrate things, sort of softly, but it just sort of fizzled because this dude just vanished. Now, in 1951, Ebony Magazine did a deep investigation trying to dig him up. They talked to all of his relatives. Uh, they found out the family never declared him legally dead, so he's still theoretically out there. They also found at that point that there was no active police case to try to find him. Hmm. Um, his family was really bitter at the NAACP. They basically thought that he drove him insane and uh, are the reason he's gone.
2: They used him.
1: They used him, yep. And then in 2007, the St. Louis alt-weekly newspaper the Riverfront Times did a follow-up investigation trying to figure out if there's any new clues as to what happened in his disappearance. Still nothing. Totally cold case. Totally dead trial until they seek out Lorenzo Green, the guy from Lincoln University who put his name up in the first place, right? Apparently, Lorenzo Green gave an interview in the early 80s, just before he died, claiming that he spoke with Gaines on the phone several times. They made plans to have dinner together, but Gaines just didn't show up for it. And he said that Gaines had grown tired of the fight. He got some business in Mexico City, did very well financially, and lived out his days there. Green's son confirmed to the Riverfront Times that his dad had talked about those phone calls. And some of the relatives were even like, yeah, that sounds about right. He wouldn't kill himself. He's probably not buried in a basement. He'd probably just want to go away. But other of his relatives were like, I don't think he'd accept a payoff. I mean, he was willing to fight for his entire race. Like, why would he just take some money to go away? So they weren't sure. Uh, Some people think he was murdered. There's no evidence that he ever went to Mexico City, ever lived there. There's no reports of a black man from the South teaching school in Mexico City, but it's a big city with kind of chaotic record keeping, all that stuff. To this day, nobody fucking knows what happened to Lloyd Gaines. What happened to Lincoln University Law School? It lasted from 1939 to 1951. It produced Missouri's first two female uh, black lawyers. Hmm. Um, It ran a couple dozen students through there for most of the 1940s. And then in 1951, it closed due to lack of applications for enrollment. Four years later, Brown versus Board of Education uh, desegregated schools. And three years after that, the University of Missouri finally accepted its first black student. 50 years after that, the University of Missouri acknowledged Lloyd Gaines, posthumously uh, granted him a law degree and set up a scholarship in his name and are now, just now, starting to, like, um, honor him as they should uh, for attempting to desegregate their university system.
0: That was, like, yesterday. Yeah.
2: Basically, yeah, exactly. Yes. Well,
1: 2011. Yeah. So, yeah. Yesterday. Yes, sir.
2: Wow, that's, that's wild. I want to think. I vote that, Mexico yeah, City. Yeah. I hope Mexico City, part of me just thinks he was murdered because that was the easy way to stop it.
1: Yeah. We are talking about Chicago in 1939.
2: Crimes. There were a city. lot
1: of, yeah, a lot of Tommy guns. Let's mm-hmm. just put it that way. <laughs> but I mean, there was no. There was no John Doe dead bodies, right? So if he was murdered, it was like Hoffa style. Like he was murdered and then buried and hidden intentionally. It wouldn't have been like a a sloppy one or a quick hit. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of theories. Um, But if he took a payoff from whom? The University of Missouri? Like Mm. how, how big was the payoff? Like, I don't know. All they can say is he was really hard up for money all the time. So like he was susceptible to maybe you know, being paid to leave.
0: Yeah. I mean, he could have been paid a small amount of money and been in Mexico city with that small amount of money doing fucking fine. And that could have been from just any given white person who was like, Hey, knock it off.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, Anyway, uh, real quick coda to this. Um, Gaines versus Canada was the last, Um, trial that the NAACP had money to prosecute until the end of World War II. They spent all their money on this trial, taking it to the Supreme Court and back. Totally bankrupt after this, devastated. The head of the NAACP resigned. Um, His immediate successor in the Missouri chapter was Thurgood Marshall, Hmm. who immediately started fundraising and said, we're going to try this again. This tactic worked. We just need to find a better plaintiff started looking around Missouri, didn't find anybody, started looking around Kansas, went to Topeka, found some people, brought Brown versus Board of Education directly on the heels of this, cited this case in his argument, and this case is directly what teed up Brown v. Board of Education and Thurgood Marshall's success. So it chello. is a direct line.
2: yeah, that makes yeah. me a little happier.
1: So ultimately it was successful, even though Lloyd Gaines kind of got chewed up in it.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it yeah. made... Brown versus Board of Education, uh, I will say easier to, I mean, as difficult as it was, it was was easier.
1: It was a direct line from this case to that one. Yep. Mm -hmm.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. Damn. Just up and vanished.
1: Oh no. What happened? I was reading my notes. She died.
0: Oh, Whitney also up and vanished. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) that is correct
1: somebody paid her to go to Mexico mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: mm. um, well a follow-up well wait I feel like it's important for everyone to hear it um, um so my story is uh, it, it's it's important it's not like a, a weird one it's just uh, it's important kind of like Karina's and you know I think a lot of our weird brunch stories are m- more so important in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah. I would like to talk about Vincent Chin, um, in the murder of Vincent Chin, and how that kind of ignited um the uh, Asian American you know collaborative movement. Um, so. Vincent Chin was a 27-year-old man. This is in 1982, and he is, you know, set to be married to his longtime girlfriend. Uh, he's a draftsman for a top Detroit automotive supplier. I think we all know what Detroit was like in the 70s. And then the 80s, it got a little dicey. Um, so he's also working part-time at a Chinese restaurant to save up for a home. Uh, He lives with his mother, and his uh, World War II veteran father had died the year before. So it's June 19th, 1982. He's had kind of an easy day at the Chinese restaurant, and he's like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's do a bachelor party. Where are my boys at? So he meets up with his friends, Robert Swarovski, Jimmy Choi, and his best man, Gary Koivu. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're having a couple drinks, and then they're like, you know what? Let's go to the uh, full nude strip club. Oops, we need to bring our own booze at that situation. <laughs> so they get their bottle of vodka. They go to the all-nude strip club. They're having a great time. It is a bachelor party. It is your standard-ass bachelor party. However, <laughs> across the stage, um, these two dudes, Ronald Evans and St- Stephen, Michael Nitz are getting fussy, right? Because these women are paying all their attention to this fucking bachelor at his fucking bachelor party. Um, and so Evans, he was a Chrysler superintendent, and Nitz was, uh, at the time he was a laid off uh, auto worker. So allegedly one of the stripper or one of the dancers heard him say, it's because of you motherfuckers that we're out of work, and then that was right before um, a, a little a little tiff broke out. Uh, just a reminder: this is Detroit. This is 1982. We're you know it is a one industry town. It's all auto industry, all car companies. And that's starting to kind of get, um, you know, it, it's not always the Chryslers and the Fords and the, and the, you know, Chevrolet. We're getting Toyotas moving in. And so we've got some um, different car makers that are mostly Japanese. So a lot of people in Detroit were blaming the Japanese for taking their jobs. Um, mm-hmm. And so another note is that Vincent Chin was a Chinese-American. <clears throat> So it's because you motherfuckers uh, that were out of work turns into a small fight in the strip club. Uh, Nitz gets hit in the head with a chair somehow. There's confusion as to how he got hit in the head. Nitz is um, but one of the white guys? Yes. Okay. he w- Yeah. Um, and so he the bouncer bandages him up while uh, Chin and his party leaves. Uh, but they leave to the parking lot. <laughs> So the two dudes, yeah. Evan and Nitz when they come out, they're like, "Look, it's those motherfuckers." And then and I mean, okay, look, we've had some drinks, we're it's a bachelor party, we're having a good time. Uh Chin calls Nitz a chicken shit. I'm um, okay with that. I'm great with yep. that. You know who's yep. not great with that? Nitz, Evans.
1: Nitz. Evans. Yeah, oh.
0: Evans pulls a baseball bat out of his car Ooh. and Chin and Choi take off running. Um, and Evans and Nitz get back into their car and they follow them. Uh, they find them in front of a McDonald's. They're just like trying to catch their breath because they've been running. They're not drinking and driving. No, no. Ebbins and Nitz no. drinking and driving. No. Um So when they find uh Chin and Troy in front of the McDonald's, Nitz holds Chin down while Evans beats him with the bat. And he's breaking a bunch of ribs. And um then Chin escapes and but he falls, right? Because he's got a lot of busted shit going on, even though you have a lot of adrenaline, you might take a step that you can't really take at the time. So he falls. And then Evans takes the bat to his head and literally cracks his skull open. Um, Two off-duty police officers that were moonlighting as security guards at this McDonald's um, told Evans to drop his weapon. They, like, showed him their badges, and they were like, you need to get the fuck off of that man. And uh, Chin's last words before slipping into a coma were, fight, fight. It's not fair. The EMS okay. uh, technicians immediately realize that it is unlikely that Chin is going to make it because there were, quote, brains on the oh, street. Fuck. Yeah. Evans and Nitz are charged with second-degree murder. <clears throat> Chin is in a coma, and when his brain activity ceases, he's taken off life support, Um And again, this was a bachelor party. So this was days before his wedding, Mm. and the guests who were planning to be at his wedding attended his funeral
1: instead. Oh my god! Oh, that's heartbreaking. Mm
0: -hmm. I
1: I hate that part, but I do feel like it's important. Horrible.
0: Yeah. (sighs) Um. So the actual incident um, was reported in the newspapers, but it it didn't really get an, a lot of attention until after the trial. So, uh, March sixteenth, nineteen eighty three, Evans and Nitz appear in Wayne County Courthouse. They have taken plea bargains. They had reduced the charge to manslaughter. <laughs> The prosecuting, wow. ad- the prosecuting attorney didn't even show up likely because of those plea bargains. Ugh. And the circuit judge Charles Kaufman found Evans and Nitz guilty of manslaughter and fined them $3,000 and $780 in court costs. For the killing <laughs> of Vincent Chin and probation That'll for three show. years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Got their ass.
1: Never going to happen again now. Right.
0: Um, mm-hmm. So clearly the Asian American community as a whole is now outraged. Livid. Like they were already upset. They were kind of, you know, talking to each other uh, about this issue. But now it's like, no, we're we're going to get we're getting loud now. Um, mhm. Kaufman, that judge, defended the sentence by saying, Oh, no. These aren't the kind of men you send to jail. We're We're talking about a man who's held down a responsible job for 17 or 18 years, and his son is employed and is a part-time student. You don't make the punishment fit the crime, you make the punishment fit the criminal.
1: What? What, what? what legal precedent is that? Jesus In what civilization has that been Christ. the case?
0: He concluded, oh he concluded
1: the code of double over here.
0: Pissed. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm so
2: pissed. I think this is why
0: I was fired up when we started. <laughs> I'm so the mad, yeah. Um, he oh. concluded,
2: "quote Had it
0: been a brutal murder?
2: Oh, you mean <laughs> beating someone to death with a baseball bat in front of a McDonald's and their brains came out?
1: Not yeah, like that's not like a that. brutal yeah. murder, yeah. right? Right? Yeah. 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 No, yeah, yeah. it had been something like that, of mm, course. Yeah. If um, and, if someone and, yeah.
2: non-white had done it, it would be a whole different thing."
1: Right, right, brutal.
0: See, yeah, that's brutal.
1: You don't you don't use words to describe the situation. You make the words describe, describe. the people in the <laughs> there situation. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so uh, wow. yeah, he, he said, had it been a brutal murder, of course these fellows would be in jail now.
2: <clears throat>
0: wow,
1: these fine fresh fellows, mm-hmm. these fine young cannibals.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um. So before Vincent Chin's death, uh, the term Asian-American wasn't really used. There were um, Chinese-Americans, and they had their struggle against the Chinese Exclusion Act. There were Japanese-Americans who had been uh, unconstitutionally interned Mm. during World War II. And then there were Vietnamese-Americans, Filipinos. So everybody, uh, Indian-Americans, and they all had kind of their... Separate, you know, um, I guess they were considered separate and, and they all had their separate experiences with racism in America. Um, right. But these groups had never really united in um, in a common struggle until now because with... Chin's murder, the, the Pan-Asian community realizes that they're in it together. He was killed because of anti-Japanese scapegoating even though he was not right. Japanese. Mm-hmm. So now it's that, I don't even want to say it, but it's that like, well, you all look this, that thing. Yeah. That's where it's like, okay, look, this is all us. Um Right. After the verdict, Asian Americans with every background rose up under the rallying cry, remember Vincent Chin. Within a month, the pan-Asian American civil rights organization called American Citizens for Justice was formed by journalist Helen Zia and other activists in Detroit. Now, at first, the ACJ um, met some resistance there wasn't really specific clarity uh within the the you know the constitution the the supreme court anything there wasn't really clarity at the time as to whether asian americans were protected under civil rights laws
1: <sighs> what but people so this is <sighs> mm-hmm. in okay okay uh,
2: 1983 yeah okay
1: yes Jesus. Yes. I mean, aren't, people are covered under it. That's the point.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, beings. mm-hmm. So neither the Michigan ACLU nor the Detroit chapter of the National Lawyers Guild thought at the time that Chin's murder was racially motivated.
1: Mm-hmm. Even though they said the racist stuff right before they murdered him? Yes. Okay, just checking.
0: Mm-hmm. So... Um, That didn't slow down the movement, though. Huge bummer. But we're, you know, Chin's mother, Lily, she's traveling across the country. She's begging for justice. She's speaking. She's going to, you know, these uh, protests, these um, stands uh, and and, yeah, making speeches to to groups of people. Um, And then Judith Cummings, who is a black writer, and she's visiting her relatives in Detroit. While she's there, you know, she's she hears about this or she already knew, but she, while she's there, she's writing an article and it appears in the New York Times. So mm-hmm. suddenly this case is getting national mm-hmm. recognition. Um, it's on the Phil Donahue show. Hello. Hey, 80s. there you go. Wow.
1: That's 80s as hell. Yeah. The
0: king of the 80s. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's on television news across the country. So With this much publicity, the ACJ successfully petitions the U.S. Department of Justice to investigate Chin's murder as a civil rights violation. So, at the second trial in 1984, the U.S. District Court acquitted Nitz. But Evans was found guilty. Of one count of violating Chin's civil rights, he was sentenced to 25 years in prison. I mean,
1: okay. I guess that's
2: better than what they first got.
1: That's the start.
2: However. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs>
1: yeah. In, he got was was he murdered instantly in
2: jail? That would be nice. <laughs> was he
0: murdered? No. No. Uh, However, in 1986, Evans appealed his case, and the conviction was overturned by an appeals court. One of Evans' lawyers told the New York Times that a prosecution witness had been coached. Evans requested a retrial in a different location because the animosity against him in Detroit, you know, would have created some biased situations. Uh, by then, he had already been laid off by Chrysler, and said no one would hire him. So
2: what? You're in fucking jail. Um, he's no. not. <laughs> well, he's in. This is trial. Oh, um, wait. What
0: he? So he, at this point, th- the conviction was overturned. Right. So now he's like living at home, but still like doing, going to court, um, going to court, oh, going geez. to appeals. Like he's he's actually not
1: in
2: jail at all. Oh,
1: oh, and it's hard to find a job when you brutally murdered somebody and everyone knows it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, at least yeah. it's hard to find. Oh. I
2: mean, not that I support it, but he should just be happy that he's not fucking in prison. Right. 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 So the case
0: is transferred to Cincinnati, where a federal jur- a jury of ten white and two black mm-hmm. people found him. in Not guilty, guilty,
2: of course.
0: Oh, Oh, gee, wow. Of violating Chin's civil rights. So he never spent a day in jail and continued to (laughs) assert for years that Chin's death was an accident.
1: Uh, Yeah, because, you know, how when you're beating somebody and they accidentally die on you Mm -hmm. because you were beating them to death.
0: Mm -hmm. It was an accident. He shouldn't have
1: died so hard. I... I know. Why did his head start bleeding? I would guess
2: though. I mean, I hope like, I don't, the fact that he wasn't able to get a job would maintain like what, who's going to hire you after your murder conviction is overturned. I would still be like, sorry, bro. Like, no, it's a bad look. I don't know. I need to know what else happened to him. Is that it?
0: Uh, unfortunately I don't have more on that guy, but, um, so oh. Lily Chin, um, Vincent's mother is clearly distraught. Uh, a quote from her is what kind of law is this? What kind of justice? This happened because my son is Chinese. If, ch- if two Chinese killed a white person, mm-hmm. they must go to jail, maybe for their whole lives. Something is wrong with this country. And she's right in 19. Oh, yeah. And in 1987, a year after um, all of this was kind of cleared up and Evan, you know, it's all done. Um, a year after that, she moved back to China. Um, I don't blame her. Though the legal. No, I don't need. I would. Yeah. Um, though the legal battle was lost. Vincent Chin's legacy does live on. There's a documentary called Who Killed Vincent Chin? And it was nominated for an Academy Award in nineteen eighty-nine, meaning this documentary was all right like then very quickly. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Very, especially for the eighties. Like we kind of can see some of that. Like there's already uh documentaries about the Capitol uh riot, but like that wouldn't it's just I think it's very cool that
1: somebody jumped on it mm-hmm. so fast. Um Right. Yeah. You couldn't assemble footage that easily that back then it wasn't just floating around in the Internet.
0: Right. Right. And there's a lot like Um, of contacting people, but like contacting people is also so hard back mm then.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: So then other films and plays and articles and artwork have followed. So this is kind of the the moment. Right. This is the thing. Um, and then this trial established the legal precedent that Asian Americans were entitled to civil rights. Um huh. this, Mind blown. The, it's the so infuriating. Asians. Um this, along with increased dialogue between ethnicities, had led to stronger organization in the pan Asian community, um, according to many experts, and historians, Asian Americans are still stereotyped as the quote model minority. They're all successful and they don't encounter racism. Um, and some people even question whether they're people of color. It's gross. Um, Asian Americans are up against a century of traumatic experience with the ju- American justice system, but also, and this is something that I think um a lot of a lot of people that can't understand that um, can't understand the uh, you know their what, their lives um, th- they have a hard time remembering this. But there's also their very strong cultural notions of propriety within um, Asian American cultures, uh, and, and that often leads to silence. Right? Mm.
1: Um,
0: so Chin's death was. a a reminder that there is a need for marginalized communities to stand up. Um, The, the phrase remember Vincent Chin is still something that, you know, it's reverberated when um, Asian Americans uh, are standing up and, and need to stand up. And honestly it should be said every day Um, because I really is, I don't know. And like, I'm always the first to admit my own, my own shit, but like, it is something that, to me, it, it just hasn't really crossed my mind that much until until recently. Uh, you know, a little bit, I guess, in like um, 9-11, I witnessed a lot of uh, racial, you know, hate mm-hmm. things um, at my high school. And then, obviously, in the last year, year and a half, we've seen a lot of yep. hate towards Asian Americans because of the uh pandemic and that's not the first time you know like swine flu
2: and and any any of that mostly because of trump calling it what he called it too which i don't even want to say because
1: fuck that piece of shit correct who Mm -hmm. is he on twitter ever heard of him Mm -hmm. all right well we solve the world's problems we always do yeah, I know. You should always tune in if you want to know how the world's problems are going. The answer is solved.
0: <laughs> solved oh, until, until next week. Until we next have week. To solve all the yeah. new ones.
2: I was we'll gonna go say to I feel like both of y'all's stories could be made into actual movies. So if anyone needs any movie suggestions like to what to make, just do one of those.
1: They were both True. really good yeah dang. it's kind of surprising that one isn't a movie now that you mention it because it's got like that playground of based on the true storyness of like mm-hmm. you could say whatever you want about what Gaines was up to and it'd be a really mm-hmm. compelling character to play mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. it would be a good one yeah. huh. dang well maybe, maybe there will be a movie made next week about it and then we can talk about it that's how fast they make yeah. movies right
0: Sure, is. nowadays,
2: sure. I got an nowadays. iPhone. We can Let's go make that make movie right now. Movie. Tight. Well, thanks for listening. Please follow us at Weird Brunch Everywhere and rate or review us if you feel like it. That would be cool. I hear those things are good to do. That's so. the word Truth. on the
1: street. Yeah, I've been listening to the street all day, and that's what it's saying.
0: Hugs and kisses. XO, 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 XO. Mm.